Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to Escaping Rock Bottom, the podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Lee. Um, staying down here in Laguna Niguel, Southern California, pretty close to actually where I grew up. I grew up uh, about 15 minutes from here. Uh, for those of you watching, you can tell I got a special guest with me today. I'll introduce you to uh, Jody coming up here in just a few moments. But um, for those who are listening, you're going to hear from her in, in just a moment. This is such an incredible story and, and such a treat for all of you because... Um, the story you're about to hear today is one of the more powerful stories that needs to be told, and it needs to be shared. Um, and I'm really excited that, that Jody has decided to share this story so publicly um, with me. So let's just dive right in. Um, Jody, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. Thank you for having me. Um, first off, you ended up finding me. I think it was um, a, a friend of yours mm -hmm. that um, saw my Facebook post or happened to watch my podcast, and they tagged you in it and said, yeah. you've got to follow this guy or you've got to listen right. to this podcast. a couple people, a couple of my friends on Facebook like, tagged me. And, and they were like, Jody, you need to meet this guy. You've got to talk to him. And, and Jody reached out to me, and, and we spoke on Facebook. And, um, the crazy, the crazy part about this story is that there's so many like parallel connections, um, to like where I grew up, where I went to high school and, and your son, um, tell me a little bit about, um, about w your son and what happened and what's going on in your life. Well, my son, Jared, uh, was smoking marijuana and I thought that was my only issue with Jared was smoking pot. And it was really hard for me to stop him from doing it. His friends had their medical license. And, you know, he'd be at those clinics and said, Mom, there's men in business suits. You know, they're, they're successful. I can be too. And he was trying so hard for me to accept the fact that he loves smoking marijuana for his anxiety. It wasn't his uh, – he wasn't getting high on it. He was um, smoking it for his anxiety, and it was his medicine is right. what he told me. But he was getting into some trouble junior – senior year in high school, you know, the – that age he was getting into some trouble with the police and then he uh totaled his car hit a tree um had a dui went to jail overnight when he just turned 18 and um marijuana in a system so it was very difficult little did i know after he broke his collarbone when he was almost 17 um the nurse gave him vicodin and he liked it and he couldn't stop and i had no idea I didn't know the signs to look for. When he'd come home extra quiet or extra happy, um, you know, I'm thinking, oh, boy, he was just smoking marijuana at a friend's house. Right. Um, no clue that my son never stopped with the prescription pills, the opioids in particular. Um, when that nurse called me from the hospital and said, your son broke his collarbone, and um, he was with another family, and he's in pain, and I'm going to give him Vicodin and ask for my permission. And I said, okay, he's in pain. Please, yeah, give, give him, him the Vicodin. I was not educated. I had no mm. idea that it's actually heroin in a pill. Yep. That it's so addictive that he couldn't stop, that it led to Oxycontin. And the Oxycontin led to something even stronger called Opana. Yeah. No idea. And you know what? Doctors have an idea. Doctors know what is in the chemical makeup of these pills. Absolutely. And there are... Absolutely. And it gets me fired up because there are so many irresponsible doctors out there that are pill pushers. And they are, in my opinion, they are one of the reasons why the opiate crisis is so terrible in this country. They're also the reason why so many people are addicted to heroin. Um, 
because you trace it back. I, I've done stories. I've done exposés. I won an Emmy Award uh, rec- this last year for my expose on uh, the heroin use and what people – every single person I interviewed uh, who was addicted to heroin, every single one of them, every single one of them said it started with a prescription to pain pills. Absolutely. Uh, it just – Yes. That's usually is the way – usually the where it starts. Um I know. Well, we're like you. You said that you know one of the warning signs was your son was smoking weed. He had gone to jail. As a mom, what did you do back then when your son is going to jail and he's getting caught up and he's having oh all my this? Gosh. Like, what did you do back then? Uh, well, we, we were confused. My husband and I. We didn't know what to do with him. To be honest, we really didn't know what the answer was for Jared. You know, I mean, I started drug testing him when we caught him smoking weed when he was 17. Um, drug testing him. And then, you know, how long do you do that for? I mean, so um, eventually I stopped and, you know, took his car away, right. you know, took, took things away from him and never gave him money. And, you know, just was saying, just you have to stop doing this, you know. And I didn't know. I, I could have, I guess had an intervention come at three in the morning and take them to, uh, you know, wilderness camp. And, and then I envision what would that look like? You know, I envision, um, his brother, you know, 13, 14, 15 year old brother. Seeing Um, his older brother. Yeah. I, him seeing the, the struggle that he would, he was strong willed, the struggle with that interventionist, you know, I'm not going, you know, the fight he would (laughs) have. And, and I just thought, you know, that it, it would stop, you know, that he eventually, I, I just was hoping and praying that he would stop smoking marijuana. Um, but I didn't really have the answers, to be honest with you. And I didn't really know who to turn to. I'd go on walks with my girlfriends and, um, and cry to them about it, you know. And then, they, you know, some of them would say, well, my kids drink alcohol. And I was like, okay. And Jared didn't like drinking, by the way. He thought, you know, that kills people. Yeah. You know, I got to be honest, a lot of drug addicts don't drink alcohol <laughs> because we've already found stuff that gets us more fucked up. You know, I mean, I, I stopped drinking in high school, you know, I mean, and then I found drugs and it was just drugs. All I mean, I can't remember the last time I had an alcoholic drink. It was way before I even excuse me. It was way before I even got sober. Yeah. But he take me to the period of time. And how old was he when he started messing with ecstasy? No ecstasy. No ecstasy. No. What eventually, um, what eventually towards the very end before he tragically passed away, what was, what did he, how, how did he die? So what happened was we found him nodding out in the backyard at three in the morning. This was in October, 2009. And this is when we knew he was on something much stronger than marijuana. And uh, it took two hours to get him to bed. And, you know, he was a mess. Next day, didn't know what to do. He did not want rehab. And so we talked to um, a, a psychologist. Mm-hmm. The psychologist re- referred us to, quote, best doctor in Orange County. So that doctor promised us at the first visit that Jared's cravings to oxymorphone and marijuana would go away. And here's what I'm going to prescribe. And he prescribed Pristique and Clonopin. Oh, my God. And I monitored, and I gave my son those pills. After <sighs> about three weeks, it wasn't working, so he switched the Pristique to Cymbalta. And then a few weeks before Jared passed, he needed now two clonopin a day, not one. Yeah, because just a pill is going to solve your problems. Mm-hmm. And I'm still waiting for, you know, for it to start working. This was in October. Now Thanksgiving at my home, whole family over, found a crushed upon in his room, and he was a wreck. He was a mess. Um, so, you know, he relapsed. It wasn't, the pills weren't helping him yet. The clonopin wasn't working. 
the Cymbalta wasn't working for him. And, you know, he started acting kind of weird, too. Yeah, of he course. He was just like, Mom, if anything happens to you, I don't know what I would do. You know, I'm like, what? Where is this coming from? And so he he was a mess. And then Christmas Day at Grandma's, you know, <laughs> again, relapsed, had a bloody nose, wouldn't eat. He complained that his ribs were broken. He knew that Grandma had Vicodin sitting in her medicine cabinet. And that's what he was hoping that she would give him. But instead, she wrapped his ribs with bandage and he just ripped that apart and caused a scene and it was another nightmare of a, a day christmas okay. day and then january 7th um so my son one more doctor visit and this time he prescribed seroquel and he said take three to four seroquel at bedtime with the script he gave jared handfuls two handfuls samples of seroquel and i was in the waiting room this time i went to every visit monitoring jared and um, I thought he gave me all the samples, January 7th. This, so he was prescribed that on the 6th. On the 7th, he had taken Seroquel for the first time. That night, we went to bed at 11 o'clock. He's with two friends watching a movie on the couch. And um, they had relapsed. He had relapsed, rather, on Opana. They cut it up into quarters and shared it. He had taken three Seroquel as prescribed. Two Clonopin were in a system, marijuana. Um, and my husband woke up and saw the light on at three in the morning and came down and saw Jared on the couch, barely breathing and called me downstairs. And I watched him do CPR while I, while I called 911. And then they worked on him some more and rushed him to the hospital where Jared was born. And he passed away at 3:47 AM, came back home and told his 15 year old brother the news and Uh, that's what happened um so now nine years later you know i became an advocate right away because um nine years later now it's even worse with this fentanyl that's out here and it's laced in everything but um i became an advocate and i wanted to stop the over prescribing of these prescription drugs these opioids that these doctors are prescribing the doctor that gave jared's friends yeah these pills they were in her office in less than five minutes. They were out with handfuls, with 300 in a bottle, prescribed Vicodin, 250, um, numerous amounts of prescription drugs, Xanax, Vicodin, Opana, anything they asked for, Oxycontin in less than five minutes. And this is what my son was hooked on, her, her medication, her Is pills. she still out there practicing? Is she still a so doctor? What happened was I was getting all these people contacting me about their kids that were hooked on her medication. Right. So I started collecting pill bottles and scripts, and I didn't know she was under investigation for two years at the time. Um, so I started working with the DEA to get her. I said, please, you know, Jared's friends were dying. I lost three of his close friends the same year. And more I heard of in between in Orange County. And kids were dying. So I put up this poster of faces of kids with my home number and started getting calls. Right. And that's where my mission started. It just hasn't stopped. I get the calls every day, you know, with people wanting help all the time. So anyway, um, there were seven lost civil cases against her. And then there were lawsuits. And she's now in jail 30 years to life. She is in prison for the rest of her life. So... And deservedly so, and deservedly so. I mean, her blood is all over the desks of Absolutely. these kids. I walked into her office with my poster of faces of kids. What was her passed. reaction? 
Oh, well, what she was kept, the office's reaction? Yeah, I walked right into her office and she was in her white coat. And I said, look at this poster. Do any of these faces look familiar to you? What did she say? And she said, no comment. And I said, well, this is my son and these are his friends, 19, 20 years old. And I said, they saw you. His friends saw you. I don't hold them to blame, but I hold you to, bl- you to blame because you're the professional. She and wrote you, the scripts. You knew better. You knew better. And uh, she just kept saying no comment until she said it's the parents' fault. She mm-hmm. put the blame on the parents. Mm-hmm. And I said. Did they anger you? It did, you know, but I felt so good afterwards. I felt so good that I did that. I was a little afraid and walking out of her office. Um, I just have to like quickly give you a hug because I think that's amazing. I think that that is that is so brave of you to confront the doctor who was writing all these scripts, killing kids. Mm-hmm. And, and, and her reaction is no comment, no comment. Parents are to blame. Oh, it was awful. I mean, the DEA and I were crying in his office. You know, he understood. He he knew that something needed to be done quickly. Yeah. Because there were so many deaths. Everywhere I went, her name was brought up. Everywhere I went. So, you know, unfortunately, she's not the only doctor that's overprescribing. No, and- there's too many sick doctors out there that are doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- there is. Hi. Um, you've obviously found a purpose. A purpose for living, right? A purpose... Because I, one of the things I get all the time, Jody, in the, these messages I get from parents is that the, you know these parents of children who are 17, 18, 19 years old, and they don't know where their child is, and they're seeing the warning signs. Like they know their child's addicted, and they, Jody, they feel so helpless. Like they helpless. feel they feel helpless. Like they're looking at their child, like what do I do? And I know that you had mentioned that you had thought about getting an interventionist. You thought about doing those things, but you, you feared how your son would react and you fear how your other son would see it mm-hmm. and witness it. Um, I, I got to ask you this, you know, this point of question, do you ever sit and do you reflect back saying, I wish I would have, I wish I would have called that interventionist. Oh, I, I think about that all the time. Cause I want you to tell, I want, cause parents are watching parents are going to listen to this cause they're the ones who are reaching out to me the most. They can't wait. The longer they wait, the harder it's going to be. If they have any question in their mind, get help, you know, and seek counseling for both of them and their kids. I mean, the parents need counseling. They need to know how to deal with this. Yeah. You know, we didn't go to school for this. We don't know how to deal with our, our kid, our son and daughters on, on drugs. It's not easy. It's not easy. No, and parents, so, you know, listen, parents aren't given a manuscript on, and, and directions on how to raise a child, first off, you know, and uh, life it, happens and yeah. things in life happen. And there's, you know, instead of pointing the finger of blame at a situation, the one thing that is so hard, and I would love for you to to elaborate on this, and from my experience, right, just talking to so many parents in recovery, is there is a bond between a parent and a child that is different than my bond with my sister or even my bond with my parents is that the bond between a parent and a child is that a parent, no matter what, their natural parental instincts is to never stop giving up on your child. And some parents fear that if I bring an interventionist, my child will run away and he'll never talk to me again. And they, they have these fears and your fear was, well, my other child will see the intervention and he'll, he'll be scared by it or be messed up by it. Yeah. I mean, Jared was so strong willed and, you know, I mean, he's gotten into fights with his dad, you know, over 
because of the drugs that he was on. You but know, what he I wasn't tell parents is person. like, don't be a friend to your child and don't, don't, uh, don't worry about how that your child is going to react. Just be the parent Yes, and, you know, be the parent and go, you want to fight me back on this? We're about to fight back on this, right. you know? And, <laughs> but I think taking it to that next level is, and uh, I, it's hard for me to sometimes give this advice, but what I tell them is I don't like to use the word cutting off because what you're doing is actually saving your child's life. But I, when I tell people is that like when you set that boundary and you tell them you're not welcome here, hi, you're not welcome here, hi, and I'm not giving you another dollar. You need to figure it out on your own. And But when you decide to get help and when you decide to get treatment, I will absolutely be right here willing and ready to support you every step of the way that you're actually saving your child's life because you're going to make them hit rock bottom faster. Um, because they don't have a place to sleep and they don't, you know, I, I've but, been dealing with the same young adults. Now they're 30, 29, 28 yeah. since I started, you yeah. know, for nine years. Yeah. They've been homeless for, you know, over 10 years. Wow. Um, and I've helped them get scholarships and the treatment, but sadly they relapse yeah. and, um, now they're, you know, back on the streets. So they call me for help because they're, ashamed yeah. to call their parents back again yeah. they're scared to call their parents back again or their parents um have, have given up have you know up. or they just you know not so much given up they just it's want tired. them to figure it out yeah, and they're broken i mean but parents they get run down yeah you know? i mean it, it's, it's very it is they get run it's down exhausting. it's so so hard so they call me yeah of course <laughs> and and i talk to them every day um and i try to help them but here's the issue they don't have insurance. I know. They maybe some have Medi-Cal, which nobody takes out here. Um, it is so difficult to get them help. And, and that it. is my <laughs> message here. And I hope, you know, the yeah. governor is listening. Um, we need funding. We need help to get these people into treatment. Because when they ask for it, you can never, ever give up on them. And when they do ask for it, and it's a disease, it's a brain disease, and if they asked for help, if they had cancer, they would get it. But for addiction, there's nothing. And it's, it's just devastating. So while they're waiting for a county bed, they're dying on the streets. Yeah. And, you know, and their brains are getting even worse off because of the meth and the heroin that they're on. Um, you know, it, and I tell people, too. People who put the just the blames on you know put the blame on the parents they just have no idea and what what I really want them to understand is going no this is a societal problem and when I say it's a societal problem it goes back to no doctors are prescribing these pills that they know are highly addictive mm-hmm. this is a society problem mm-hmm. and that the fact that we as a society in my opinion absolutely we need to target especially let's focus on targeting the youth. Mm-hmm. And try and and try and get them the help that they need early, so that they don't become this drug addict and a detriment to society because they become liars and cheaters and thieves. Oh yeah, you know, and like you should care before you get robbed by a heroin addict who needs a fix, and they're going to rob you not because they want to hurt you. Right. They're robbing you because they need money to go get their next fix. Right. Just but if we invest in our youth and our teens at a young age, we, we might be yes, see. we might be able to prevent that from happening. Um, With that said, thank you very much. Um, uh, A mom and I, her name's Christine, and I produced a documentary for that reason. It's called Overtaken. And we produced it in 2012. It came out. It's in schools across the nation. It has um, 
a lesson plan that is with a part of the health curriculum. It's used in rehabs, DUI classes, courtrooms, um, and it's on YouTube. Overtaken, and it's young adults sharing their stories of addiction. I wanted to end the stigma that surrounds addiction. These are cheerleaders and football players and straight-A students and yes. in college. And um, so education is key and we do need to have overtaken shown in middle school before they start so they can see what will happen if they start and and then i wanted to spread the message of hope hope is so important so i have overtaken two on youtube the message of hope they're all clean and sober from the first one and they share their stories that's amazing what their lives are like today and i love i love that um i love and where can people find overtaken they can just search overtaken in youtube it's right? right on YouTube. It's mm-hmm. on YouTube, so just type in the Google search "overtaken" and, and and definitely watch it. And I love that. I love seeing like I, I love seeing people who have who have experienced such dark trauma. The worst trauma that anybody can ever go with is the loss of a child, um, and the fact that you have now channeled uh, channeled all of that to create this and to bring this movie and this uh, documentary into schools. Thank you. That you're saving lives. People's lives that you 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 don't even know, like somebody is gonna wa- some kid is watching this, and the, your 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 documentary is watching it in some classroom that you don't even know what school it's playing mm-hmm. in today, and yeah, that I'm that message that. is being spread, and um, it's a really beautiful thing. Thank you so much. How I is that. how has it as being a mom who has lost their child to uh, a drug overdose? Um, how have you been able to find purpose and peace in your life? Because I'm sure that you still think about your son every single day. I do. But, you know, um, my mission that I'm on, that helps me a great deal. And um, being there for these young adults, and a lot of them were Jared's friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, and What high school did Jared go to? Part, what what high school did Jared go he to? He went to Elisa Nagel High School. Okay. And they've lost several from that school, of course, from all the schools in Orange County. There's, it's just so tragic. It's such Which, a by the way, and this is another thing I tell <laughs> people about, is that addiction knows no socioeconomic ground. It does not discriminate. All right? Make sure you understand right. that uh, addiction does not discriminate. Nope. We're in beautiful Orange County, California. It's so beautiful. They call it the Orange Curtain, and we used to call it the OC Bubble, right? The Orange County Bubble, in that this is one of the most affluent counties in the entire country. Right. There Mm -hmm. is more wealth in Orange County Mm -hmm. and more success in Orange County than almost any other county in America. Right. Um, And the fact is, is that there is a huge drug epidemic that is happening right here. Yes. And until we just acknowledge it. And I don't care if you live in a mansion, which a lot of kids from my high school did. I don't care. Parents are buying their kids BMWs and Mercedes at age 16. It does not matter where you grew up, and I am so sick and tired of people thinking that drugs only happen in the ghettos and bad neighborhoods. No. It's so true. I know several moms from a wealthy area in Orange County, um, and their boys all overdosed, but they all say it was a heart issue, and that is not going to save lives. You know, the That denial. is not going to save lives. Um, but back Did to- you ever feel shame or guilt? Did you ever, as a parent, did you ever look back and go, what did I do wrong? Yes, but I didn't feel shame, mm-hmm. but I felt guilt. Okay. You know, because I'm a mom. Right. I, I was, I'm Jared's mom. Right. You know, this shouldn't have happened. You know, all these, all these things go through my head. 
Um, the reason why I ask you that question is because I can tell like now that you're on the other end of it and, and you're, you're using this to power such good that there are a lot of parents who are struggling and they do feel that guilt mm -hmm. they, and they feel shame. Yeah. They feel shame and guilt, but I'm here to say, don't feel shameful because kids make their own choices, you know, and, um, they don't always listen to their parents. They'd rather listen to their friends. You know, I did. I mean, I, I made poor choices in high school. Um, and I didn't listen to my mom. She was very strict, and I still didn't listen to her. But, uh, you know, it's just you can't blame yourself. You really can't, especially, I mean, I, I blame the doctors who were overprescribing these opioids for no reason, no reason. No 20-year-old or 19-year-old, if they don't have cancer, they don't need Oxycontin, and they don't need Opana, and they don't need Vicodin for a wisdom tooth pull. Yeah. You know, the whole thing. Which, mind you, I just I had a... <laughs> I had a root canal. <laughs> I had a root canal, and I always tell the doctors, I always tell the doctors, always, 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 always. And parents, if you have a child who's a teenager and you're taking your kid to the doctor, you should absolutely have a conversation about addiction with that doctor. And I tell every doctor I go to, I'm a drug addict, and that do not under. I went and got a root canal, and I had Valium prescribed to me, oh. 30 pills of Valium. And I looked at the doctor. I'm like, I told you I'm a drug addict. I can't take this. I was like, it's just a root canal. Uh, and I'm like, uh, I'll take ibuprofen. And mm -hmm. that's all I needed. Mm -hmm. That's all I needed. But the fact that – That's the problem. Yes, that's all you needed. A root canal, and I'm getting prescribed Valium is just insanity to me. It is insane. You know, I hear that all the time, too, that they're prescribing Vicodin and Norco. Yeah. Same thing. Um, for wisdom teeth pull, it, it's, it's, they don't need it even for a broken shoulder, um, no. you know, collarbone, you I've don't had have surgeries. to have Vicodin for a broken collarbone. Listen, I'll admit it. I had a rhinoplasty like three or four years ago after getting my nose broken and I still, they gave me, um, they gave me Valium to recover and I had my sponsor stay with me for four days and my sponsor had to give me and make sure she held the pill bottle and stuff because it was extremely painful in the mm -hmm. recovery process. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you this. Did you know on day two, she had given me a pill. Uh, apparently, one hour later, I said, I need another one. And oh. she looked at me. My sponsor, she goes, Brandon, I gave you one an hour ago. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't feel it. She goes, so you're, you're already addicted. It's already in your system, wow. and you're already fiending for more. And that was wow. on day two after my surgery. And you know what she did? She took that pill bottle, went into the bathroom, and flushed the rest of the volumes down the toilet. I had one I had one day's worth of volume, and the rest I did ibuprofen. And that scared the living shit out of me when she told me, she's like, you just took one an hour ago, and I didn't feel it. Yeah. And that's, that's... how quick your body can become addicted mm -hmm. to this stuff. And that's why, that's why every home should have naloxone. Narcon. Narcon. Yep. I mean, it does save lives. It's a miracle. And anybody that's on opioids, that's taking, um, you know, Vicodin, Narco, Oxycontin, yep. you know, should have naloxone in their home. Yeah, Narcan in, in your their home. Purse, and I tell people too, everywhere. everybody, and it should be sold at every CVS and every pharmacy it in the should. world because you can't, first off, uh, you cannot get high off Narcan. And I want to make sure that people at no. home know. As a matter of fact, heroin users will say they absolutely hate it because it makes them feel like terror. It makes them feel like crap, <laughs> but it saves their lives. It saved their lives. It saves yeah. their lives, and you cannot get high off And then after of it. it does save their life, I would love for an intervention right yes. away. 
they need an intervention. They need to go right into treatment if you know if, if they can, and then after treatment, they need to go on extended. a on, yeah they extended they need program Vivitrol. You know yeah. the the MAP program. I mean it saves lives. But I tell, and that uh, <laughs> I tell people all the time too. This whole like uh, thirty and sixty days of treatment is. Uh, something that was created by insurance companies. This was not ever created by mental health professionals. So whenever you, you know, your insurance is like, well, we'll cover 30 days. Oh, I only need 30 days of treatment. That is totally just asinine. And the only people <laughs> who created that were insurance companies because they didn't want to pay for more um, mm -hmm. treatment services. So if you do go to a 30 day treatment, please know that the most critical stage is after that right. and it's extended program, whether it's outpatient, whether it's something you have to look at programs that go beyond that. I'm seeing these young, exactly. And I'm seeing young adults that are in rehab for 30 days. And um, when they come out, you know, unfortunately they're back into it. Yeah, of course. But I, I really, really, I see some of these young adults that are on Vivitrol and it's saving their lives, not long-term, mm -hmm. you know, just long enough for them to get back into right. Yeah, into um, being you know sober for a long time. So they have thirty days, and they have maybe six months. You know, on Vivitra, um, it's it's really helping. It's saving lives. It's, it stops the craving, and it's awesome. It really is. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know. Um, I know it's painful. I know. Know you're nine years removed from it, um, right? Mm -hmm. um, nine years, and. Yeah. Um, I, you know, when you and I were just speaking on um, Facebook and I this is so random and people are going to be like, you are crazy. But it's OK, because I admit that I'm crazy sometimes <laughs> is that one of my favorite shows is Long Island Medium. And I love Teresa Caputo. I think that I'm not like somebody that believes all psychics, but there's something about her that's magical. And what I believe is that uh, our souls are with us and they're around us at all the time after they've passed. And when I was messaging you on Facebook. And we were talking about your son and I have not, I'm celebrating nine years sober and it was nine years ago when he passed. And when you reached out to me, I had goosebumps and chills and I just got the chills all throughout my body right now. And I'm a true believer that it was not coincidence that you reached out to me. It's not coincidence that you found out about my podcast. It's not coincidence that you live in the same County that I grew up in, right. um, that I truly believe your son, Jared's spirit is around here and that mm -hmm. it was your son's Jared spirit and soul that actually put us together. And I believe because uh, your son knew that you needed to get this message out, but this is a message that can save other people's lives. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Thank you. It's a beautiful thing. I got thing. goosies. <laughs> <laughs> and he is with us. He is with us. I, and I've gotten signs since the day it happened. And just don't ever kill a bee because bees are our sign. Bees are the sign. Mm -hmm. Be bees are the sign. And they're, and you know what bees are? They're crucial to the ecosystem. <laughs> they're crucial to the ecosystem and all of our lives. Yes. Um, bees are the big indicator for that. <laughs> um, so thank you for sharing your story. story. Um, thank you very thank you, much Brandon. for everybody who's watching and listening. Uh, EscapingRockBottom.com. You can find it on YouTube. And definitely check out the documentary. There's two of them, and it's Overtaken. And you can simply search on YouTube, um, Overtaken. So thank you again for sharing your story. Thank and, you so uh, much. It was powerful and i know um you know i hope it's a story that a lot of parents at home can relate to so that uh they don't give up hope so thank you never very much. give up hope as long as they're walking talking and breathing there's always hope and we'll end <laughs> on that that beautiful message thanks you all for tuning in